Every hour I need Thee Bless me now by Savior I come to Let's sing it again. Close your eyes, would you? I need thee. Oh, I need thee. Every hour, I need thee. Let me. Praise God. You may be seated. 
I'm going to preach today from the book of 1 Kings, chapter 21. I'm going to talk to you about some things that are important to us as a church. Chapter 21, verse 1 says, And it came to pass after these things that Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard which was in Jezreel, close by the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And Ahab spake unto Naboth, saying, Give me thy vineyard, that I may have it for a garden of herbs, because it is near unto my house, and I will give thee for a better vineyard than it, or if it seem good to thee, I will give thee the worth of it in money. <clears throat> and Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid it me that I should give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. And Ahab came into his house heavy and displeased because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he had said, I will not give thee the inheritance of my father. And he laid him down upon his bed and turned away his face and would eat no bread. Verse 5 starts out by Jezebel. Prior to this story, God had led the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, somewhere about 1446 B.C. About 40 years later, in 1406, possibly 1407, Moses stands on the mountain, looks over in Canaan, lays down and God dies and God buries his body. Michael and Satan dispute over who will have ownership of the body. And Michael tells him, says, you're not allowed to touch this Satan. God has placed his body here for a purpose. A new leader arises by the name of Joshua. <clears throat> Joshua takes the children of Israel that had wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And he crosses the Jordan River. First city he arrives at is Jericho. The story is well known among those of faith. He marches around it six times, one time a day, and on the seventh day he marches around it seven times in priests blow the trumpets and the people shout with a voice of triumph and the walls come down the ground literally opened up and the walls just went straight down they didn't fall left to the right they went straight down from that point on the children of Israel under Joshua's leadership begin a conquest of land and territories that had been promised to Abraham their father in the covenant and so they took a certain amount of time and they went through Canaan and they would conquer 
certain areas. And in these areas, there would be different tribes uh, that surrounded them. And they would go in and they would fight these tribes and either drive them out or destroy them. And then they would take a tribe of Israel. There were 12 tribes of Israel. And they would settle them in that portion of land they had conquered. And then they would all join together and they would go to another area of Canaan and they would fight, drive out the enemies, and then they would settle them until pretty soon all 12 tribes had a piece of land where their tribe could grow and could flourish. They were somewhat at rest. You always will have enemies, but they had put at bay the enemies and they had conquered the land. It's important to know that this was not just a typical war between one group of people and another. It was not just the expansion of one kingdom that overrode another. But this land and this war was a land and war of covenant. God had made covenant to Abraham. And he said, your descendants are going to possess this land someday. And so the covenant was that I'm going to give them this land. So when they went into Canaan land, it was a holy war based upon a covenant with God. God had given them the land of Palestine. They were waging a holy war to possess the promises of God. Hear what I'm preaching today. They were waging a war because they had to destroy enemies that had a promise. They had to take that and possess it. And God made covenant and said, I'm going to give it to you and give you the strength and the ability to drive the enemy out. And so they did this. And they possessed this land. The 12 tribes of Israel had a portion of land that God had given each and every one of them. Now, in the book of Leviticus, chapter 25, I'd like you to turn there with me, if you would, and I want to read a verse of Scripture. Excuse me, it'll be verse 23. Leviticus 25, verse 23. God is speaking to them and He says, The land shall not be sold forever. Everybody say, The land shall not be sold forever. I want you to say it again. The land shall not be sold forever. God gave them a promised land. And then he divided it up into 12 pieces. And he placed a group of Jewish people that belong to certain tribes, and he said, this is your land. I have given you this land today, but there is a condition. 
you have you never will have the right to sell this land. And I'm going to make a statement here. We'll get a little further into it. But when God gives you something, you no longer possess the will to say yes or no. But you become a custodian of what God has placed in your care and you are obligated throughout eternity in your lifetime to preserve to the next generation It's in your care during your lifetime. And you're not an owner of it. You're a possessor of it. You're a caretaker of it. But you don't have the right to sell what God has given. No, Numbers 36. Numbers 36, verse 7, God is still talking to them about this land, and here he calls it inheritance. And he says, so shall not the inheritance of the children of Israel remove from tribe to try. For every one of the children of Israel shall keep himself to the inheritance of the tribe of his fathers. Now, before it was just you can't sell this land forever, period. It's non negotiable. You don't barter with it, bargain with it to the highest bidder. It's just not yours to sell. It's my land that I'm giving you, and you're going to caretake, and together we will possess that land, but you'll never have a right to sell it. Now he moves on and he says, there's 12 tribes here, but I'm so serious about this that... Judah, you cannot sell a piece of land to Dan. Dan was a tribe. Judah was a tribe. And even if Dan, one of the men of Dan, come down and marry into a Judean family, they're all Jews. They all worship Yahweh. So it's not a religious thing anymore. He says if they come down and they marry your daughter... You cannot let them have their inheritance. They leave without their inheritance. It stays in the tribe. It stays in the family that stays in Judah. God had specifically told them they could not sell it, nor could they marry and the inheritance divide. Today... A lot of times you'll find someone that may have a little inheritance to give to their children. Maybe let's say they have three houses, three rental houses, and they have three children. 
And each child, when that parent gets older and passes on the scene and their children are married, and as they get ready to cross over, they leave their children an inheritance. And so each child would get a house. It's divided equally. But back then, if a child married out of the tribe, the dad would say to his daughter, he'd say, I'm sorry, we love you very much, but the Lord forbid me to let your inheritance be divided between another tribe. It's got to stay exactly in the tribe God give it. When Joshua went into Canaan with the Israelites, there was war, there was bloodshed, there was sacrifice, there was great difficulties, not in the living because the land was great, but the possessing because of the enemies that stood between them and the covenant of God. It is in this setting that we go back to our story of Ahab and Naboth, 1 Kings 21. Verse 1 says, And it came to pass... After these things, these are speaking of some of the latter wars of the life of Ahab, a few years before he was killed in battle. That Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard which was in Jezreel, close by the palace of Ahab king of Samaria. Now, Ahab was the king of Israel. Prior to his reign, he reigned 874 to 853 B.C. That was his years, about 21, 22-year lifespan that he reigned on the throne. And uh, prior to that, in 930, under the leadership of Solomon's son, just a few days on the throne, uh, the kingdom of Israel split. Ten tribes became what was known as the northern kingdom, and two tribes became the southern kingdom. And the southern kingdom uh, kept the seat of David, the throne of David, and the city of Jerusalem. The other ten tribes, uh, they had to find a new capital. Ahab, who was a king of these particular Tribes chose Samaria as one of his capitals, where one of his palaces were. That's why the palace is not in Jerusalem. He's not a tribe of Judah, Benjamin. He is a tribe of, or he is he is a king of the other tribes, and so he's up there. Ahab was a wicked king. He was not a good king. He had been raised in a country that knew the truth. He knew all about. Judaism. He knew about the worship to Yahweh, but his heart had been led astray because he did not obey the commandments of God. He was married to a woman by the name of Jezebel. Jezebel 
was a Phoenician woman. She was from the people that had been long-standing enemies of God. And uh, they were a Sidonian people, and she was the daughter of a king. And Ahab went and made some kind of alliance with this people. And he married this woman named Jezebel, brought her into his life, and she influenced him for evil. I could preach to you a while about that. If you let a Jezebel in your life, she will turn your heart against God. This Jezebel was a wicked, wicked, wicked woman. The most infamous of all women in the scripture was Jezebel. She is noted for many things, but one thing that she is noted for is that she, can, she started a program to systematically eliminate and exterminate the prophets of Yahweh. And with the consent of her husband, they went through the land and began to gather God's prophets and begin to kill them. Then they set up a state religion as the worship to Baal. They built a magnificent temple. They ordained many uh, priests of Baal and brought in from her people many of the priests that had been long-time priests of this particular god, Baal, and its cohort, Ashtoreth, and they brought them into the land of Canaan, the land of Israel. And she turned the people's hearts, and they made it a state religion where if you're going to worship, you're going to serve a god, it's got to be Baal. The prophets of Yahweh were hiding in caves, the ones that had survived. There was no public worship or demonstration. You talk about a setting where oppression was at. We worship freely today. Preachers get up today like I'm doing all across America and they proclaim the name of Jesus and they're not having to worry about being arrested. It may come in the future, but it's not here today. But in this country, if a prophet of God got up and preached, he would be arrested and executed. If people were to get caught going down to Jerusalem to worship God of, of Israel, Yahweh, they would be have their properties taken. They would be persecuted, in prison, maybe killed. This was a wicked, wicked, wicked woman. She taught the people of God how to commit fornications. She taught them how to worship other gods. She taught them how to rebel against the law of God. And so the setting of this land is Israel is in total and open rebellion against God. They do not serve him. The ministry there is totally leading them to worship another. The government of that land is totally put down uh, Judaism and has exalted a, a religion that it makes God angry and has turned their hearts. And Naboth is one of the few who was a God-fearing man. And Naboth is approached one day by the king. 
The king spake to him and said, First, I want you to give me your vineyard. And then he says, I'll tell you what I'll do, Naboth. He says, I will give you some, I will give you a better vineyard. I'll give you something better than what you possess. You hear what I'm saying today? The world's going to try and tell you he's got something better. The flesh and the world and the enemy is going to come to you and say, we want to purchase your vineyard. We want your heritage. We want your inheritance. And I'm willing to give you something better. But you need to know how to answer the enemy. There is nothing better than my inheritance. I don't care if you give me something 10 times the size and 20 times the value. It's not as good as my inheritance if it came from God. And then he said to him, he said, or everybody likes money. I'll pay you what it's worth. You just name your price. I'll give you whatever you want. So you can have the choice piece of land in Israel, or you can have the amount of money you need. But I want your vineyard. Naboth knew the conditions to make reference to the law of God. The prophets who tried to serve him were dead or hiding. The people had been persecuted in order to serve Baal. And what he was fixing to do was against the state and against the king. But he went back and he said, Ahab, the Lord has forbid me to give you He said, Ahab, I will not give you my inheritance. Now that may just be a little casual story to someone until you get to looking into it. But for 500, we're, we're somewhere about 856 B.C. when this story is taking place. His fathers had come into that land somewhere about 1406, 1407. We're close to 550 years later that each generation had preserved the inheritance that God gave them. And what makes you think that just because the conditions of life in the world around you have changed than when your fathers were alive, that you have the right to sell it out? Well, it's not the same when they come to God. It's not the same. You know, it was a different world back then. But God still forbid you. I said, God still forbid you to sell what he gave your fathers. You see... 
He may have got a momentary excitement. Little extra money. But the generations after him would never again be the same. That's right. It may have done him good in his lifetime. But his grandkids. He'd be dead in the grave, but the great-grandkids would be adults someday. They'd never know what it was like to run a plow down that old furrow and put a furrow and a plow down there to, and, and, and plant something in that place. They'd never, never know what it was like to have some grape juice and, and, and some vegetables at dinner time that came out of the heritage and someone said, this was passed down from your great, 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 great grandpa. In fact, he was fighting and the story is they tell us that, uh, there were five of them against him and he could barely win and, and Joshua sent a man over to help him and that's your neighbor over there and, and they fought them enemies off and, and Joshua said, that'll be your land. It, it was a heritage that God gave them. And each generation knew the story how they possessed it. But others in Israel had forgotten. In other heirs of time, they had sold their inheritance. They had traded it out when it was financially financially good for them. Socially accepted, politically correct, in line with the economical church that is out there. Acceptance. But thank God for Naboth's. The people that we don't know their names, but They have the same spirit. Naboth looked at that king, the authority and the power of life and death, and he said, Sir, I don't have the right. The Lord has forbidden me to sell my inheritance. I've got some boys that are learning to farm it. I've got some sons that are going to be raising their families in it. I've got some children and some grandchildren that are going to be making it through the winter off of the harvest that comes out of it. That's right, because when Jezebel got involved, the Bible says in 2 Kings 9, it says that she killed him and his sons because they couldn't just kill Naboth. They had to kill the children, else the sons would have still inherited according to the laws. Naboth, he told him, he said, I will not give thee my inheritance. I was in prayer about a month ago. Right up in that corner of the sanctuary one afternoon. 
I felt God put in my heart. The vineyard is not for sale at any price. And I want you to tell the church that it's not for sale. They don't have the right to sell it. We're not talking about a building. We're talking about spiritual things right now. Book of Revelation, chapter 2. Verse 18 of Revelation 2 says, And unto the angel of the church of Thyatira, write these things, saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works, and charity, and services, and faith, and thy patience. Thy works, and the last to be more than the first. These people, they had good works. But good works does not excuse letting the world into your life. Well, I'm not a bad person. I do this and I do that. I don't think it's that big a deal. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee. Because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophet, to teach and to seduce my servants, to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. I gave her space to repent of her fornications, and she repented not. The Jezebel of Naboth's day is dead. But the spirit of that woman, hear me, is still attacking God's people. I said, the spirit of that woman is still attacking God's people. Thyatira's greatest sin was not what they did when she seduced them. I've looked this over. 
Was it the fornication? We know it was literal fornication, just like Corinth, the church is filled up with sexual perversion. But it was more than that. In the context, it's talking about spiritual fornication and adultery. That means when you make love to another object besides God. That's idolatry is what it's referring to. You have an object of affection that stands between you and God. And she seduced them, just like she did the people of old, not to worship Yahweh, but to worship Baal. She's still trying to turn God's people's hearts to worship something else else. Most of you don't have an idol that sits in the corner and you put little apples and fruit and different things in front of it. But some of you have a body that you lay down, you shower in the morning, you clothe during the day that's become your God. You live for yourself instead of himself or him. All of life is about you and not him. That spirit's still loose today and it's trying to seduce God's people to turn their heart against Jesus Christ and to embrace the world and to accept it. And sometimes we look at this and we justify actions. Jezebel was a seducer. Not only was she an idolatrous, but she caused others to go that way. She hurt the work of God. She hurt God's people. And you better watch out when you play with Jezebel. You're going to come out on the short end of the stick. But the worst thing that they did was not the idolatries and all that. That was kind of the byproduct of this. They tolerated her. Thou sufferest her, is how the King James says, allow, some ears will say, tolerate her is what it means. This world says we need to tolerate things. God said, I have somewhat that, what against you. I, I'm, not, I'm not respectful of that. I don't appreciate you tolerating those things in your life in the church. He said, I have somewhat against you for toleration. You know, you go out in the world and, and people, they want to yell, tolerate, tolerate. To-. You're intolerant. Sure, we're intolerant. We're not ashamed of it. And if you are, you need a good dose of the Holy Ghost. I'm not ashamed that I don't want to tolerate homosexuality in my life. I'm not ashamed that I don't want to tolerate billions of, millions of babies being aborted. I'm not ashamed that I don't want to tolerate the way people are dressing and acting in society today and won't take responsibility. I'm intolerant and I'm not ashamed of it. I'll never be ashamed of it. That's an old spirit of Jezebel. And once she gets you where you tolerate it, then she gets in bed with you and she defiles you. But I have just as much intolerance when that stuff comes into the church. And their greatest sin was that they tolerated that old spirit of Jezebel. And they said... We can still be a church. We can still do good works. And we're strong enough. We're mature enough. We're established enough where we can...
tolerate. We have our differences. We don't quite see eye to eye, but we're a good church. We're a strong church. How can two walk together lest they be agreed? I understand this more and more today that you can't tolerate doctrinal differences. You can't tolerate in holiness, unholy. The Bible is clear that without holiness no one will see God. He commanded us to be holy for I am holy. He didn't say I'd like you to be. I think you should be it'd be a good thing if you were. He said be ye holy. It's commanded of every child of God to be a holy person. Jesus said you must be born again. He didn't say I think you should be born again. This is the right way uh, and, and, it's, and it's the way that I, I most approve of. He simply told Nicodemus, he said, except a man be born of the water and of the spirit. And if they want to twist it and say that just means that repentance or that just means here or there, they can twist it. But here at Christian Life Center, we're still going to teach what the apostles taught. That means to be baptized in the water in Jesus' name by immersion until your head is completely under and you're wet. And a preacher says, in the name of Jesus over you. And it means to be filled with the Holy Ghost, with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. And if you didn't get it that way, you have not been born again the Bible way. You're not in the bride of Christ yet. I know people don't like that. But if we don't preach it and we don't teach it, pretty soon there's going to be a group of people that are going to begin to tolerate false doctrine and say, well, they don't have everything, but they're still my brothers, they're still my family, they're still this, that, or the other. And pretty soon your kids aren't going to believe what was paid to have a church like this here. And there's got to be Naboths in every generation that stand up and say it's not for sale. I'm going to preach to you today. There's got to be a Naboth that stands up and says, you know what? I love the Trinitarians. I want them to embrace this great truth. But they're not me. And I don't want my children marrying into it. I don't want my children working with it. I don't want my children being part of it. Uh, I want them to be what dad is. I want them to be what mom is. Uh, I want them to be an old-fashioned Pentecostal that has holiness, uh, separation from the world, that speaks in tongues, know how to pray all night, know how to call on the name of Jesus. Uh, Hallelujah. I want to tell you, church, our message is not for sale. Huh? I don't care what they offer us. I said, I don't care what they offer us. I don't care what they tell us they'll give us. We're not going to trade this message to be accepted by the world. Some of you don't know the sacrifices that it took to get Christian Life Center off the ground. You just walked into a beautiful building. Whether it was this one or the one over on West Lane. Hundreds of people, sometimes thousands of people, surround you and give you security. 
and you feel so good and you're part of the majority that believe in Jesus' name baptism, but it wasn't always that way. There was some Naboth in a generation when baptism in Jesus' name and the oneness of God was not accepted. Oh, yes. 1934, one of the largest churches that believed in the Spirit was started by a man, by Brother F.J. Van Buskert. How many heard him? Would you just raise your hand? few of you. He's the father of every Assembly of God church in this town. They're all a break-off or somehow came out of his work here. It wasn't an Assembly of God work back then that I know of, but it was a lot of Assembly of God people. And someone's already getting puffed up because I mentioned Assembly of Gods. You just need to get over it. They're not afraid to say there's a difference, and I'm not afraid to say there's a difference. And we're going to talk about our heritage today. And I won't be intimidated by you. And if you don't like it, it's too bad. You're not going to influence in this place. We worked hard to get a church and I'm working hard to keep a church. And when the Lord comes, I want it to be a church that still believes it. And if I'm gone and buried, I want the grandkids and the next generation to say, thank God for that old Reverend Nathaniel Haney that towed the line and kept preaching the truth to us. We're not going to sell it out for anybody. We're not assembly of God. We're not Trinitarians. And old brother Van Buskert loved God with all of his heart. And God gave him a revelation of... There wasn't three, a little committee up in heaven, but the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost were one. And there was one throne in Jesus who was the image of this God set up on that throne. Just as I'm a father, I'm my mother's son, and I'm my wife's husband, but I'm one person with three roles. God gave him a revelation and said, there's not a father, old man here, and there's not a young son here, and there's not a middle-aged Holy Ghost here, but there are three roles that one God played, fulfilled. And then he got a revelation that if there's one God, uh, there's one name. And he began to read and it said that Peter told them when they asked what they needed to do, they'd be baptized in Jesus' name. And so he was so excited about this revelation, he went to his people and he had a large crowd. And you got to understand... Those were hard days. And if you had a self-supporting income, it's not like today. They'd come out of the Great War. They were getting ready to go into another war. And there was trouble in the land. It wasn't the days of, of America that you know where there's, you know, they talk about bad days. It's not bad days. You read the history of America. There were whole cities that were in soup lines. Because there was no food after World War II. And we talk about and we listen to them bunch of idiots on the news tell us how bad it is in America. And most of you had money to go to the grocery store this week. 
You had some type of job. You have a house to live in. You turn the heater on or the air up. You drove a car and had gas in there and you had more than one pair of shoes and more than one pair of clothes in your closet. But there's been times in America where they had one pair of shoes and they kept putting cardboard in it because they didn't have anything. And that was the generation of some of these people that made sacrifices so we could have a building like this and worship and preach the truth. And he went to those people and he had a job because he had built a church up. He was a good preacher, a good Bible teacher. And he presented this and they told him, they said, you either forget that stuff or you leave. He said, I can't get rid of what God has given me. And he walked out on the street and he didn't have a church. They cast him out. It wasn't always. You know, some people think, well, we're all just filled with the Spirit and love everybody. It was hostile back then. If you was a Jesus' name, oneness person, the Trinitarians were hostile towards you. My great-grandparents, Frank and Mae Gray came off the ship. They had got the revelation of oneness of God, baptism in Jesus' name in Japan. They were missionaries, and they baptized their converts, baptized each other, and all their support in America of the Trinitarians dried up, and they didn't send them any money. And my great-grandmother's health broke, and finally they had to come back to America. They got off the boat. They didn't have a cent to their name. They didn't have a place to go, but they had a friend of theirs, Brother Kraft. And they went to Brother Kraft's house. They had been friends all their life, and they were, they were bosom buddies. And they said, Brother Kraft, we don't have anywhere to go, and we're broke. And, and he said, I've heard, he said, is it true that you were baptized in Jesus' name? And they said, yes. And he said, you're no longer welcome at this home any longer. And he shut the door in their face. There they stood without any place to go, without any money in their pockets, not knowing what to do next. That generation that embraced this truth, and some of you so casually get baptized, think nothing of it, they paid a price to embrace this truth. In town at that time, it was my grandmother, great-grandmother, Sophia Haney. They called her Mother Haney. And her family, one was my grandpa Clyde Haney and his uncle Levi Haney. And they were having services, but they didn't have a church. And Brother Buskard went over trying to find out what was going on. And they had left another church because of false doctrine. And so they were meeting. And Brother Van Buskard come over and wanted to find out the status. And they decided they was going to start a church that was going to preach the truth. So they could raise their children in it. Raise their grandchildren in it. And you and I are a product of that little meeting that they had. When a preacher was cast out because he embraced that there was one God and he embraced that he was baptized in Jesus' name. And so they sent him out and they started it. And so in 1935, they started a church and they began this church. And this became the little humble beginnings where Christian Life Center came from right here. They called it Harmony Hall, 36 South American Street. Uh, Not much of a building. Not much of a place. 
And that's where you people, whether you're a first generation, maybe you just come in this year, when you came in, you was grafted into the spiritual heritage of Christian Life Center. And that's as much yours as it is mine. This is your church, and that's your root system that we're looking at right now in Stockton, California. I'm going to say it again. That's your root system in Stockton, California. Our taproot goes back to the day of Pentecost when Peter preached Acts 2.38. But the roots that spread out, this is one of them right here in Stockton in 1935. And you became part of that growth that God was adding to the church daily such as should be added. And I just want to tell you, this message is not for sale. And I know the world's changed. It's easier today than it was back then. It's easier to let go of things. It's easier to embrace false doctrine. It's easier to be accepted by others. It's easier to walk in the gray than it is to the black and the white, the absolutes. Everybody wants to have relevancy today. There's nothing relevant in line with the Word of God unless it's an absolute that God speaks. And some people today, they want to come to church here. They love everything about this until we get on the doctrine. But I want to tell you, sir, the reason there is the feeling and the spirit here is because of the truth that is in the middle of this people. That's right. It's the truth we possess. And if we let go of the truth, we'll be like any other church and you'll be looking around for a church that has this power and you won't find it till you find another church that has the same truth. Because God huh, is worshipped in spirit and in truth. Huh? And when you worship in spirit and in truth, huh, there's going to be a move of God. And that's why God meets with us on Sunday. is because we worship in the truth that here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. Huh? Ah, and these words which I command thee this day shall be in thy heart. I want you to know this is our heritage. I said this is our heritage. Somebody's got to be the Van Buskert in their generation for their family. You say, my family's Trinitarian, or my family doesn't go to church. Uh, Brother Van Buskert had to walk out, and he had to embrace this oneness message and this baptism in Jesus' name. He had friends, and he had family that did not accept that. It wasn't just his church. He lost his job. He was looked down on by the people. He was called a cult. He was said he went into false doctrine. And the list goes on. He had family that shut the door and said, you're way off, Brother Van Buskert. Something's wrong with you. Somebody's got to be willing to take that kind of ostracization and persecution and rejection in this generation for your family. Uh, there may already be a church, but maybe there's no line in your family. And you got to stand up and say, I'm going to 
start an apostolic oneness Pentecostal branch in my bloodline. My kids are going to know there is an apostolic doctrine. Oh, yes. Hallelujah. After about 10 years, Brother Van Buskert moved on, stayed a dear friend to this church, to my family, even taught in the first Bible school that we had here in 49 in the basement of a church on Harding Way. My grandpa was elected and he came back. They began a building program. They built another church. I don't know where we're at on the slides. I don't know if they're keeping up with me or not. Got a slide to put up there. Pentecostal Harmony Chapel. That was one of the churches in between that we were at. Then this is when my grandfather came back, October 26, 1947, 1961. And it was in this church that my grandpa began to get a revelation. He'd actually, before they moved in there, got a revelation of holiness and separation from the world. You see, back then, it was all right for the ladies to bob their hair. It was all right for the ladies to wear jewelry. It was all right for them to wear uh, clothing that was not all that modest. Even the youth group uh, at that time, they went mixed bathing. Believe it or not, this church in its infancy went mixed bathing, the youth group, on an outing. Now, their bathing suits were more modest than most people's clothes are today. Have you ever seen any old pictures of them? They had three layers of clothing, but it was a, it was a church. And our, our ladies, they, they looked different. They, 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 uh, they, they, they could go into a place today and people say, that's a Christian. You go to Christian Life Center. Back then, they just looked the same. But God began to deal with the pastor's heart of this church, and he began to preach and teach holiness. And the church was starting to boom and was starting to go. And uh, it, was, it was coming back. And, and all of a sudden, a group of people rose up in there and they come to Clyde Joseph Haney and they said, Reverend, we love what we feel. You're a good pastor. But you're going to have to lay off that holiness stuff. And if you don't, we're going across town and going to start another church. Pastor of that air, he just said, The Lord forbid me to adjust a message for a heart that won't receive it. It's the first week of April. Got up one Sunday and over half the church was gone. They talked around and had a split. This church that was going, the finances plummeted. It was already a tough time and it was hard. They just kept on. But there were people that stayed. People like the Renaissance, 
where you know Brother Jerry Renison that led songs in this church for 50 years. He was a board member for many, many, many years. Honorary. That's his mother and his father. They come to Pastor Clyde Haney and said, We're going to stay. We're not going anywhere. Keep teaching us. This is the kind of church we want our children to be raised in. This is the kind of message we want our children to hear. It's not popular. They've rejected it, but we want our kids to be raised in a oneness, holiness, Pentecostal, Jesus name church. People like the ducks. My dad said he just dreaded testimony service with Sister Duck. She sang between keys and off key and didn't know what a key was, but she had a heart that was so passionate. They just dreaded when they had a visitor because they was fixing to hear song. They'd go around in those days and say, anyone have a testimony? And this brother, this sister would stand and say, the Lord did this, and I'm so glad. And her time would come, she'd pop up, and she'd start singing a cappella off key. But they stayed until the end. It was people like that that make this possible today. Ted and Bessie Sanders, he wasn't the most dedicated, but his wife was a saint. That godly woman there fed the pastor and his family every Sunday. That's back when there wasn't money just to go out. It was a big deal to have a Sunday meal for a preacher. Every Sunday they went over there and she fixed him fried chicken. Mashed potatoes, gravy. Just a forgotten name today. But it's a face like that that allows this today. People like Sister Piters and Old Mother Watts and the Mayberries. Forgotten people to this young generation. There were others that came and went, but these were people that run the course, stayed the course. I don't have all the pictures, don't know everybody, know some of the history. But I'm moved when I begin to read the sacrifices that they made. These were people that wanted a church that would preach and teach that there was one God. They wanted a church that baptized in Jesus' name. 
You already said that, yeah, but I want to say it again. They wanted a church that had separation from the world. A few years later, God began to deal with the pastor and he began to develop lessons on church government. See, in those days, the pew ran the pulpit. And he began to teach about a large group of people came. And the kicker was that one day he put printed some tithe envelopes and set it up out of, outside for them to get a tithe envelope, fill their name and put it in. And boy, that just made some people mad. And they come and they said, if you don't get rid of those tithe envelopes and quit teaching this church government, we're leaving. And he said, this is an apostolic church. You see, in every generation, even today, there's people that freeload. There's people that are financially paying the way why others come. They bring their families and they just eat off of someone else's sacrifice. We got little widows in this church that pay their widows might. They're on fixed incomes and they're faithful. We got men in this church that have families that make good jobs and make good money and they don't pay tithes. They say they give. They don't give. Pastor knows when somebody's lying. He knows the balance of the finances. They don't pay their tithes. They hide behind, I don't want any acknowledgement. Nobody acknowledges you when you pay tithes. You're just a liar. You're the same old spirit as that other group was. You want a free load. The reason is because you're your own God. You don't care enough about your children. I've talked to people that don't pay tithes and they'll have a nice home and they'll say, I'm really trying to do this for my family. It's not about your children, your family. It's about you. They're another way to have an excuse to have that stuff and rip God off. We get them in every generation. One morning... They came to church and 60% of the church had got up and walked off. Those pictures that I showed you, not a one of them left. They said, this is still our church. That's still Bible teaching. And we bought into this. Our kids are getting saved here. And if God tarries, our grandkids are going to have a church. And whatever it costs, we're going to see to it there's a church. God's looking for people today that will have this kind of commitment. Several years later, they started a Bible school. Remember, my grandpa had a burden for a Bible school. There were other men that had a greater ability. He had an eighth grade education. All he had to offer was a basement of a church, not a facility. He didn't have money. They didn't have money. There were other churches that were well established that had money. They didn't have anything that it took to have a Bible school, but a bird. And one of the officials of this area come and said, Clyde, It'll bring you nothing but heartache. 
be a drain on the church. And if you don't have at least, the number was $50,000 and some place to have it, I wouldn't even consider having a Bible school. Well, the burden was stronger than the finances. The burden was greater than the facility. The passion to get doctrine and truth spread around the world. School of seven, sometimes eight and nine, started. They called them the 49ers. We have a school today. I know some of you at college think, wow, these are old beat-up dorms and this, that. Some of the teachers think, man, I don't get paid much. That's the first student body. The tall man in the middle is Jerry Renison. His brother is down here on my left. Be your right looking up here. And that's his wife next to him. I think that's Brother Riddlesburg up there next to Brother Renison. I believe so. Is it? Thank you for helping me there. Let's go and see if we can see that, that uh, the teachers. That's Brother Van Buskert there on the left. He taught a lot of prophecy and love. And he'd just teach Jesus' name and just weep and cry when he'd get to talk about being baptized in Jesus' name. The Struble there on the, next to him, great Bible teacher, Brother Klein, Sammy Klein there was a Jew who got converted. My grandfather. Just humble beginnings. What drove them was not the money or the buildings or the fame or the acknowledgement. What drove them was a love for the vineyard, the spiritual heritage, the doctrines. Nineteen fifty-two, they decided to build a building. It was 30 feet wide. It was 120 feet long and it housed everything except some dormitories. Back behind this building there was that was the first official campus they had right there. Back behind there there was a big house. They called it the mansion and it was a dormitory. That's them building it. You know Anything takes sacrifice. Anything worth having you, somebody has to love it. Somebody has to cherish it. Somebody has to care about it. If a generation ever arises that is more concerned about them and their present than they are about the future, all the sacrifice of prior generations can be lost. In one generation's time. And I know some of you think, oh, how hard it is. How tough it is. The sacrifices. But I'm not sure that we really understand what it is to have a cross every day in our life. Not sure that we really understand what it is to 
have hardship. Most of us, even some of you that are older here, you're children of a generation that literally had nothing and worked hard to get anything. Give you a little start. Your kids now have a lot more. Society opens up. And through the years, every generation was faced with opposition. They was told every generation had family that rejected them, friends that turned against them, communities that looked down on them, church world that held them at bay and called them names. I remember in my lifetime, one of my dearest friends that I ever had in life. I remember when the day that he looked at me and he said, I no longer believe it. I was just floored. Same roots, same beliefs, same church. And I begin to watch as they come up and they said, Nathaniel, we don't believe it. It's not that important. It doesn't really matter. I've watched about seven or eight of my friends just begin to walk away. Hostile confrontations. At first they were gentle. We talked. And they escalated. Man, I got in the book. I began to read every scripture I could on Jesus' name, baptism. I began to read every scripture I could on the oneness of God. I began to just indoctrinate myself with holiness. I read every incident, every time it was mentioned in the Bible, I had to read about it. I love this old Pentecostal way. It's safe with me to the next generation. Is it safe with you? Is it safe with you? Does God have no worries when He looks at you? Or does he say, you know, I'm I'm concerned. That man's wearing down. His wife's trying to walk away and he's about to let go. If he lets go, those children, the grandchildren he doesn't see, they'll never be in this old Pentecostal way. (laughs) Pastor, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know the hardship. 
It's tearing my family up. It's tearing this up. It's tearing that up. How much do you love this truth? How precious is a heritage? I preach to some people today, whether you're here, your heritage is here, or it's somewhere else that you've moved here. You've let go of so many of the things that others held so dearly to. Your children, they don't love it no more. They're not faithful no more. Some of them have walked away. They call themselves a Christian, but they're backslid. They have a form of godliness, but deny the power. They're apostate. You're the reason for it, because you promoted it. You told them how rotten the heritage was, how hard it was. How unfair it was. You told them that it didn't matter the prices that were paid. Do your own thing. Throw it in the garbage. Throw it away. We're always, church, going to have people like that among us that are willing to sell it out, to give it away. It's always going to be. Don't be discouraged with them. You love this truth. You may not save your neighbor's children, but you save your children. You buy into the sacrifices of generations before us. And you love it and you cherish it. This way of living is not for sale. I've had them in my lifetime. I've had them or I haven't, but my father had them in his when he was the pastor. My grandfather, when he was the pastor here, he had them. Brother Van Buskert, when he was the pastor here, he had them. They were always saying, Pastor, ease up. Pastor, let down. Pastor, that's not important. And if that generation, three, four generations back, had been off aim, no telling how off course we would be today. And I'm determined to keep this church on track. This is your heritage and we're not going to sell it. I said, this is your belief system. This is what your fathers gave you, and it's not for sale. It's not for sale. It's not for sale. The vineyard stays in the family. The vineyard stays in the family. The vineyard stays in the family. 
It belongs to my children. It belongs to the next generation. It's not, it's not, it's not for sale. They come and they go, but some of us stay. They accept and they reject, but some of us embrace. Some of us like and enjoy what it brings, but we don't love who brings it. Some of you, this is your heritage, and you squander it. You you look at it almost as if it's defilement. It's somebody that doesn't know anything comes in. It's their first time. And they're so happy. They keep it. I still make the same commitment to God and every elder. You can go to your grave in peace and know the light will still be on. You can know that your labor's paid off. You can know that every sacrifice you made was not in vain. Every dollar you gave Every time you showed up to church, every support you was, every ministry you did. There's a group of us that appreciate it and are thankful. And we want to sow the right seed so when we become your age... God will raise up a generation that loves it as much as we do and as much as you do. And as long as there's a city named Stockton, God have mercy, but let there always be a true oneness, apostolic holiness, Jesus' name, church. Church, you got to get a love for this. You got to love it. Let me talk to my staff, college, church. You don't have to be perfect, but you have to love. You have to love it. It's not for sale. I know some of you have had some hard blows. It will be worth it all. World of pole at you. To talk to you. They'll say we'll give you money or something better. 
ministry. He's got to love it as much as the old timers loved it. Gotta be willing to lay it all down. Sacrifices they made. We don't know what the future holds. We may be called to make some of the same. You better love it before you get there. Because only a love for it is going to keep you. It'll save your soul. Save the soul of your children. It'll save the soul of those you pastor and their children. I love my heritage and I love my God that gave it. And I've given a call this morning. There's some of you that are you've drifted out. You should see you broke an anchor. You've left what was given to you. You got too much pride to admit that you sold out or you compromised it. You worried about what your husband's going to say. Worried about what your wife's going to say. This is preaching, church. And I've stirred a soul with the burden of the Lord this morning, if I can. What would the forefathers say if they could come from the graves and look at the heritage and how it was being managed after everything they did? They say it was worth it. I'm so glad that I did it. When they hang their head in shame and say, what did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? What sacrifice did I not make? What love did I not embrace? my own great-grandmother and grandpa that were missionaries to Japan could come see their grandson today. I hope if somehow what I am today would have been worth every sacrifice. If Clyde just walk in the back door one Sunday and listen to me preach. <laughs> I wonder if he's just this is kind of the church I envisioned. I just 
wanted something like this. Or what do you say, Nathaniel? You, you let go. You sold out. more than my grandpa. I wonder what Jesus would say. I know he's here every Sunday. He meets with me in prayer. But if I ever saw his face, I would so badly know that I run the race not in vain. Some of you have drifted, but I've preached to your soul. The voice of the dead, I'm speaking for them. The voice of the elders, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to you for them because they can't come. They weren't able to come back from heaven today and talk to you themselves. So God sent a preacher. God sent a pastor to talk to you for them. Are you walking in the king's highway? You walk in the old holiness road. You're embracing passionately. Or would you sell it for something better tomorrow? Without him, I could do nothing without him I'd surely fail without him I would be drifting like a ship without a sail I need the oh I need thee I need you Jesus <laughs> every hour I need thee bless me now, my Savior, I come to Thee. Without Him, I would be dying. Without Him, I'd be 
it's slain. Without him, life would be worthless. But with Jesus, thank God, I am saved. Oh, I need him. Oh, I need him. Every hour I need it. Bless me now, my Savior. I'm coming, Lord. I'm coming, Lord. I'm coming, Lord. Dude. You. <laughs> I've given an altar call. It's good if you can get out of your seat. Come walk down the aisle. It's kind of says, Jesus, I come to thee. Jesus, I come to thee. Church, this is our heritage. You may be first generation, but this is your root system. You've been grafted in. God saw to it to put you here in this church and make this your home, make this your heritage. These are your people. Their sacrifices are your sacrifices. Their commitment is your commitment. This place is yours because of them. There's a spiritual connection. There's a spiritual connection. There's a spiritual connection this morning. God, we're buying in. Jesus, we're buying in. We love you. Come on, church. I want you to pray. I want you to recommit. I want you to recommit. This is our heritage. This is our heritage. This belongs to us. We come to tell you, Jesus, that we love the name of the Lord. We come to tell you, Jesus, that we are so thankful to be baptized in the name of Jesus. It means something. We thank you, Lord, for the Holy Ghost. Thank you, Lord, for setting us apart to yourself that we might serve you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, 
it's not for sale, young people. It's not for sale, young people. It's not for sale. It's not for sale. It's not for sale. It's not for sale. It's not for sale, it's not for sale, it's not for sale.